Welcome to the Health Trip Podcast. My name is Jill Foos. I'm a functional medicine and integrative nutrition health coach. I created this podcast to bring you along as we travel down intriguing science-packed roads, debunking old medical paradigms and perusing new innovative therapies and modalities with the finest functional medicine doctors, practitioners, and like-minded biohackers while living our best life. Enjoy the show. Everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Health Trip Podcast. I work with a lot of men and women who want to lose weight. Some are struggling to lose 50 plus pounds, while others can't seem to shake the last five to seven pounds off. As we age, our mitochondria diminish in quantity and quality, leading to a reduction in cellular function. Burning body fat requires optimal cellular function and energy. If you think back to biology class in high school, remember that the mitochondria reside inside our cells and produce ATP or our energy currency, and that runs the mothership or your body. Without optimal cellular functioning, our body struggles to perform. There's a lot more to it than that, but that's the simple version. Other factors that influence our inability to efficiently burn body fat are poor diet, sedentary lifestyle, stress, poor sleep, toxins, and genetics. Genetics plays a really big role, which is why I include specific genetic panels in my coaching program. Some people are genetically wired to be fat, affecting appetite control, metabolism, food cravings, body fat distribution, and more. During menopause, many women start gaining weight. One year, maybe it's just five pounds, but because their hormone levels are dropping, they struggle to shed those pounds. And the next year, it may be another five to seven pounds until each year it continues to accumulate. 20 or 40 pounds later, postmenopausal women are over weight, fatigued, stressed, not sleeping as well, and their lipid profiles and metabolic biomarkers change for the worse. They may become insulin resistant as a result. This chronic condition will lead to prediabetes, type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, dementia, bone density, and more. Bone density loss. Sorry about that. But then there's the obesity epidemic. You can view the stats on the cdc.gov website, but here's a snippet. From 2017 to 2020, nearly 42% of the U.S. population were obese. I'm sure it's a lot higher now, especially due to the pandemic. For children and adolescents ages 2 to 19 years old, obesity affected nearly 20% of them, or about 14 to 15 million. Staggering numbers. The first line of defense for weight loss is always lifestyle intervention and personalized supplementation. But what if you're doing everything right and you still can't shed those pounds? The next line of defense may be medical weight loss interventions. And that's what we are here to learn about today. If you watch TV, you've seen multiple commercials for Wagovi, Trulicity, or Ozempic. These are safe, effective, and proven medical weight loss interventions that are used for type 2 diabetics, but now are being used more and more for weight loss. They are called GLP-1 receptor agonists, and my guest today is going to put this all in layman terms for you so you're able to understand what they are and how they work. Dr. David Yablonski has been practicing medicine for over 20 years and is a board-certified internist. He has experience in providing adults with help diagnosing a full range of medical issues, including chronic disease management, primary care, hormone optimization, erectile dysfunction, weight loss, and vitamin deficiencies. He graduated with honors from Boston University prior to attending the Des Moines University College of Osteopathic Medicine. 
Upon completion of med school, he went on to complete a three-year residency in internal medicine at the University of Rochester School. And his past leadership positions include chief of medicine, internal medicine, section chief, medical director of cardiopulmonary re Habilitation and Chairman of Pharmacy and Therapeutics Committee at Grinnell Regional Medical Center in Iowa. Dr. Yablonski's focus is on disease prevention and health optimization. He has furthered his training by completing several conferences and courses in age management medicine, including the elite training programs of A4M, AMMG, and the Internal Peptide International Peptide Society. Little medical disclaimer before we jump in, by listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice or for making any lifestyle changes to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any of my guests on my podcast. So sit back, open your minds, and let's dive into the world of insulin resistance and medical weight loss. Thank you. Welcome, Dr. Yablonski. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Health Trip Podcast. My pleasure. I was looking forward to it, Jill. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this topic, um, semaglutide. And first, I want to start with insulin resistance, though. You know, obviously, there's an obesity epidemic in our country. And when most people think about type 2 diabetes, they're thinking about that, that specific population, overweight people and obese people. And the story of type 2 diabetes just doesn't stop there because I'm a very thin, lean, fit woman in my mid fifties and I have insulin resistance. I also have hypothyroidism. So I have a lot of different things going on, but you know, when people think about, um, fat and obese people, they think about type two diabetes. And I, if I wasn't doing something to help myself, I'd be on the road on the path to that diagnosis. So I want to really dig into insulin resistance because a lot of people really just don't understand what it is. What is insulin? How does it work? Um, what are the various factors that contribute to this chronic health condition? So can you just start on simple terms, breaking down what is insulin and what is insulin resistance? Sure. So um, insulin is made in the pancreas. And you had told me I'm, I'm talking to, to folks that maybe have never heard some of this before. I'm not at a medical conference giving a delivery to peers. So I'll, I'll keep that in mind. So uh, and then I'll probably insult the intelligence of some people too. So I apologize in advance, but I like to keep it simple. Um, so the pancreas is an organ and it's, it's right in the middle here. It's, in, it's your abdomen, but it's, it's right when you get into the middle of your abdomen. Uh, some people have referred to it as the solar plexus, but it's right, it's right in there. And it's a very soft organ. Um, it's um, uh, susceptible to injury. Um, when I was in medical school, uh, when we had our surgery rotation, I, I remember one of the surgeons saying, don't mess with the pancreas when he was in there surgically, meaning be extremely careful not to knock it, accidentally cut it, stay away from it unless there's a really, really damn good reason to. So it's, a, it's somewhat of a fragile organ, but there's beta cells they're called and beta cells make insulin, quite simply. Um, insulin is required for life. If, if you don't have insulin being produced or adequate amounts of it from your pancreas, that's actually called type one diabetes. And if those people do not take insulin, they would not be able to live. That's how important of a hormone it is. Type two diabetes, which is most people, uh, are people who make insulin, 
but they have resistance to the insulin they make. And we'll, we'll talk, kind of unpack that a little bit more in a minute. Um, so insulin is, is a hormone and it's a type of a, of a like, like many of our uh, chemicals that our body makes and hormones in particular, it's a type of a protein. Um, some people refer to these proteins as polypeptides. So if you hear the term peptide or polypeptide, it's a, a, a type of a protein. Um, and when you eat, your body senses glucose very accurately, if everything's working right. And insulin is going to be manufactured as a result of your body sensing glucose. And it's necessary because insulin allows for the transport of glucose, which is the main fuel for most of, not all, but most mm -hmm. of the tissues of your body, the cells of your body, um, it's, it's the main fuel for those. And so insulin is the transport, uh, it's the car that the, that the glucose drives into the cell with. So if you don't make insulin, you essentially, there's a term uh, I, I heard it made sense to me, um, so diabetics, for example, that are not controlled are, are, are starving in a sea of glucose. All that mm -hmm. glucose would sit in your bloodstream. And, and because if they didn't have the insulin, um, it would not be able to get into the cell. There's an exception uh, to that. Um, the brain works a little differently and the liver works a little differently. They're not insulin dependent to get the energy uh, into their cells. And I'm sure there's a, a, a reason for that. I think everything in our body, if, if you dig in there, you can find a reason how nature made it this way. So, uh, so type one diabetics, <laughs> excuse me, are, they don't make insulin. Again, in the pancreas, type two diabetics make it, but their cells, when the insulin comes to deliver that glucose to the cell, it resists it. And the insulin has a hard time working to get the glucose into the cell. And why is it resisting the insulin pushing the glucose into the cell? That's a really, really big question, actually. You, you'd think there'd be a simple answer to that. Um, and, and the honest answer is, I, I don't think we know exactly. Um, we can treat it. We know there's things that work to make that better and allow for the insulin to start working better and get the, the glucose into the cell. But the there's not a cure for for diabetes, uh, type two diabetes and insulin resistance. And so I think it's kind of multifactorial in terms of where this resistance comes from. I could better explain probably the things that cause the resistance in terms of uh, risk factors, clinical risk factors, than I could explain exactly why it doesn't work because some of it's genetics too. Some of it is, um, you mentioned yourself, you know, I'm looking at you and saying, what do you mean you have insulin resistance? You can't have insulin resistance. Yep. Well, I have other patients that are thin and fit and they have insulin resistance. They have slightly elevated uh, glucose levels. So I don't know that now there may be a scientist out there that could better explain that to me, but in my realm, which is, which is clinical medicine, um, where I, I can better explain the risk factors for it and the treatment for it and how to prevent it, then I can tell you exactly why it's happening once it happens. Yeah, and we're gonna talk about all of that. You for bet. Sure, yes. Um, so do, does every cell in our body require insulin or is it really just the brain, the liver and the muscles? 
Well, most of the cells do, but the the brain and the liver uh, are the exception where they can they can work around uh, mm -hmm. an absence of insulin in terms of getting again a different hormone that's used to transport sugar into the brain cells. I think your body, I, I'm guessing, but I'm probably right on this. The brain is protected, right? The if the brain goes down, everything goes down. Uh, and so the brain, there's like something called the blood brain barrier. Right. There are many uh, medications even uh, when, when they're trying to treat central nervous system diseases. One of the challenges is you take a pill and it goes into your circulation and there's literally a barrier that is able to sense that medicine, that molecule. It's like, uh-uh, you're not getting up here. Right. And so, so that blood brain barrier is one example of a very powerful protective mechanism that every human being has. Um, I suspect that the idea of the brain being um, <clears throat> completely dependent on glucose uh, transport by insulin is probably a, a defense mechanism that it can use other, other mm. hormones to transport, yeah. And the liver can, it uses insulin, but it doesn't have to as well. It's got some alternative um, transport uh, chemicals like the brain. If you have insulin resistance, do you have type two diabetes? Not necessarily. So and vice versa. And, yeah, right. Great question. So there's a continuum. Okay. So there's the person that has, does not have diabetes, has no insulin resistance. Their blood sugar is perfect. Great. And then there's the other side of it where they have rip roaring insulin resistance bad enough where they actually have meet the criteria for type two diabetes and maybe uncontrolled type two diabetes. So there's the continuum. Um, the continuum is you start out normal, but at some point, at some point, your cells, for whatever reason, not exactly sure why, um, start to have a little bit of resistance toward the insulin. So it's not that the insulin doesn't work at all. It's not all or nothing. It may be that it doesn't work as well as it should. That may be like your case where you're not a diabetic, but you could have something called pre-diabetes mm -hmm. uh, and your blood sugar on average runs just a little higher than it mm -hmm. should because your cells are, I'm guessing in your case, slightly resistant to the insulin. Mm -hmm. As that process continues, or if it continues, and most of the time, most of the time, it's going to continue in people with some, maybe some, some bad lifestyle choices, then that resistance gets worse and worse to the point where you're now physically getting ill because your body is not getting enough of the insulin effect to get the glucose into your cells. And interestingly, one of the things that your body might do early on in type two diabetes is it may try to compensate by making more insulin. And as it turns out, too much insulin is bad for your body too. I was just going to ask you, yeah. so it, does the, will the body, the, the pancreas be signaled to pump out even more insulin as a result of this, because it's thinking, oh, well, I don't have enough. Maybe I need more to yes. handle all the glucose that's floating around in the bloodstream. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And there is this phenomenon known of, of pancreas burnout, beta cell burnout. Mm. And some of the medicines we use initially to treat uh, type two diabetics ultimately can cause burnout of those beta cells 
which is why there's been so many new medicines that have come into the market. The old medicines that we used to use, um, you know, it was better than nothing, but at some point um, the, the, the pancreas can burn out and not be able to keep up with that, uh, ins that the, um, you know, making up for the, uh, the insulin resistance by just making more insulin. Um, some of these chemical reactions, I mean, if you think of a, you know, you've got a cell and you've got the insulin that's supposed to be, you know, driving the glucose in, but it's, it's getting resisted. If you flood it with enough insulin, it's going to start to get through. But at some point you run out of the flood of insulin and now you're, you're in big trouble. And so what's so, the biggest danger to having the high levels of blood glucose in your bloodstream? So, yeah. So higher levels of blood glucose are associated with mostly vascular damage so particularly the smaller blood vessels but but the arteries okay so remember that art there's art there's two types of blood vessels there's arteries and veins the arteries are the vessel that are delivering blood to your cells oxygenated blood to your cells and then pulling off at some point through the process uh, it, it'll, well, let me back up. So it's delivering all the oxygen to the cells. And as it makes its way through your circulation, and then it's like it takes a new direction and now it's got to get back up to the heart and that becomes veins. That's the venous system. It's the blood that doesn't have oxygen in it because it's already dumped it off. And now it picks up carbon dioxide. That's the waste product in the cells. And it delivers it to the lungs that when you exhale, carbon dioxide. You inhale oxygen, you exhale carbon dioxide. Hmm. It's okay. an elaborate system. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah, it <laughs> yeah. is. Yeah. So, so, so back to your question, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. sorry. Uh, so the damage can initially, uh, by having sustained high glucose, uh, mm -hmm. can cause oxidative damage mm -hmm. to the lining of these blood vessels. And that can cause the blood vessels over time to uh, get atherosclerosis. Some, mm -hmm. some older people, they might say, you mean hardening of the arteries? I'm like, yeah, that's kind of a good way to describe it. But mm -hmm. it's that the, the sort of cholesterol-based plaques that can develop in these small arteries and blood flow doesn't get delivered where it should. And one of the areas that people always think about with diabetes is nerve problems, you know, neuropathy. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a diabetic. I have mm -hmm. numbness and tingling in my hands and my feet. Well, those people have diabetic neuropathy. And the reason is blood flow. Diabetes is uh, type 2 diabetes in particular is all about the blood flow. That's the, where the complications come from. So the elevated sugars cause this damage to the lining of the blood vessels and even the really small blood vessels, these small art arteries that deliver blood and nutrients to the nerves, then they don't do that properly because they get damaged. And then you have the nerves get damaged and you have that neuropathy. But it's the same process for the eyes, retinopathy, uh, mm -hmm. the same process that occurs in the kidneys called nephropathy. And then, of course, you always hear about, you know, uh, oh, I had a neighbor whose grandma had her toes cut off, amputated because of her right. diabetes or her foot. All of that happens ultimately because of uncontrolled high blood sugars from diabetes and, and blood flow problems, vascular damage. So people think of when a lot of people call insulin the fat storage hormone. Yeah. So, so what's that mechanism that's happening 
stimulating the, that fat storage. Right. That's the other thing insulin does is it's a, it's a very potent. Um, so uh, it, it does a couple of things. It, it, like I said, it drives the, the glucose into the cells. Mm -hmm. Um, and it also promotes, um, storage of sugar in the liver into glycogen. Mm -hmm. Those are, that's like a storage form of sugar backup system. But once that's all filled up, it'll take any, any extra uh, glucose and convert it into triglycerides, which gets stored in fat cells. It literally can make you fat. So it's really ironic, Jill, because, uh, and more so years ago, when all we had to treat any diabetes was insulin. Now that's before my time, even I've been doing this 21, 22 years. So this predates my entry into medicine, but insulin was it. And so what it would do is it would get the sugars down, but it also causes fat storage and fat storage and being overweight and having too much fat causes insulin resistance. Horrible cycle, right? Horrible cycle. And, and so luckily we do have better medications now. I know we'll talk a little bit about that uh, down the road here, but luckily we have better ways of dealing with that. But the reason I, I, so most of us only put type two diabetics on insulin as a last resort because we know it's going to cause fat storage. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's, so we, we, you know, the answer to this is not so much what I have to offer. It's what you have to offer. You're trying to, right. The you gotta, lifestyle you interventions. Keep people from ever needing me. See? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And in, in my opening for the podcast, you know, I, I talk about menopause a lot because obviously that's my life right now. And, <laughs> and that's, and that's the population that I work with, but right. you know, during menopause, especially if you're not taking, excuse me, any bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, which I'm a huge fan of, mm -hmm. um, a lot of women start gaining weight, especially around their midsection. Yeah. And, you know, one year you might put on five pounds and think, all right, I'll just, I'll deal with it. And then you can't deal with it. It's not coming off. And then the next year, maybe it's seven pounds. And all of a sudden, you know, you're at like 15, 20 pounds, three years later. And mm -hmm. this is why there's that connection between postmenopausal women and increased risk of cardiovascular disease, which is the number sure. one killer for women. It is just like men. People always think it's only men that are killing over heart attacks. It's women right. just as much as you're the number one cause of death in women too. Yeah. Yeah. W women really struggle once um, they go through menopause in terms of the weight. Um, and I, I hear this story all the time and they're not lying. It's absolutely true. Um, they'll tell me I'm gaining weight. I'm a year or two postmenopausal. I'm doing nothing different than I did two years ago. Right. So I'm meaning I still exercise. Right. I still monitor my weight. I still eat healthy. I don't drink too much alcohol. Or I don't drink at all. Right. And I'm like, I know, I get it. I said, all of that worked for you then. It's not going to work for you now because right. the hormone, the hormonal complexities of women and the changes seem to um, do something in their metabolism where they gain weight easier they gain right. fat easier. And with that, then we'll see more type two diabetic females as they get older. Right. Um, they have to, and men, you know, both sexes over time, we, we tend to uh, gain weight more easily. So it's really pronounced in women, but men, it happens to as well. The difference as I see is men 
um, in their um, later middle ages. Let's compare a postmenopausal woman who's, let's just take her at 50 and her husband who's 50 or friend who's 50, whatever. And they both go on the same diet. He'll lose weight a lot quicker. It's so unfair. <laughs> I hear that all the time. And, and the I time. just, I, I warn people, if I, especially if I have couples that were trying to get on diet, I'm like, it's going to be easier for him than you, but it's not right. impossible. It's not impossible for the woman. It's just, it's more difficult. You're much more hormonally, hormonally complex. Way more. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Let, let's, so let's dig, in, dig into some of those factors that contribute to um, our cells becoming resistant to insulin. You know, some of more of the lifestyle components mm-hmm. here. How do, how are people getting there? You know, yeah. obviously there's that genetic component, which I obviously have. Um, I right. actually test genetics for a lot of my clients because I can see if they're going to be more predisposed to insulin resistant. I feel like sometimes when they see results in a test, it helps them pivot their lifestyle in a different, more healthy direction. So I like to gather a lot of data for them. Um, yeah. So there's that yeah. genetics component, The there's the hormonal component. There's you know a lot of people who have hypothyroidism have insulin resistance like myself. Um, but then there's, you know, belly fat, for example. Yeah. Right. And, and how do people get to that point? So what are some of the things that you've been seeing that are driving this? It's such a gradual process. And, um, so you had kind of already said earlier that you, you gain weight. You don't suddenly wake up and, and you're 50 pounds overweight. It happens a few pounds at a time. In fact, it happens very slowly, but if you put on a I always tell patients, I'm like, look, if you put on a pound a month, that pound you're not going to notice in month two, three, maybe, depending on their on their uh, their stature, you know, their height. But right. twelve pounds a year might not even sound like a lot. Five years comes quickly. Now you got sixty extra pounds. Now we're talking some real weight. Now we're talking obesity, uh, well into it. And if you're shorter, it could be even morbid obesity. So the first thing is to get, I think people, what I do is really kind of lay, get, get that concept down of you've got to be your own advocate. You've got to kind of monitor yourself and you've got to care about that pound or two uh, because it starts that way. Uh, I, I joke a little bit, but I'm also being completely truthful. Like uh, vanity is, is uh, we have it for a reason. It's a protective mechanism. Right. I mean, if you don't care how you look or what your weight is or how your clothes fit, or how you're perceived, then you could be in danger. Um, I know those patients. Oftentimes there's mental illness with it. There might be severe depression. So to me, it's always a tip off that I better find out how they're doing psychologically because it's not really a normal human state. Um, So we have to to stop um, beating ourselves up, I think, or being vain, you know, we use vain, the word vain is, is like, it's a bad thing. It's a negative term. So I'm a big proponent of vanity to a certain point. It can be perverse. Right. Direction. right. <laughs> yeah. But vanity is okay. You got to start there. You got to care. And so um, it's really important to, to monitor oneself and be, be their own, your own advocate so that you're, I don't mean weighing yourself every day, but you have to have some mechanism so that you're aware of how you're doing. I mean, if your pants are suddenly getting too tight, you need to take that seriously. If your, if your shirt button all of a sudden is, is popping off, that, that could be a sign you've gained weight, right? It's really important. Um, now, it's easy to tell people to diet and exercise. 
Um, and that is the ultimate uh, fountain of youth, as far as I'm concerned, is how you yeah. eat and how much you move. But as you know, and you help people get started with this, I'm sure it, it's not always obvious to people or they don't necessarily, I mean, changing your habits is really hard. Really, really hard. hard. So much of this comes in uh, coaching people and educating people on how to either not get overweight or to start losing weight. I will always be honest with patients. When they come in, if they have a weight problem, I bring it up. I've never had a patient quit because of it, because they know it's because, because I care. I'm not judging people. Um, it's, it's not, you're, you're not a bad person if you're overweight. Can I give you an aside right now? As an example, I yep. saw a man today, and this is how bad it can get for people. This is so sad. I have a patient, obviously I won't say, say their name. Um, we have been working to try to get him into my clinic for seven months. He's so obese, he can barely walk. He's not even 60 years old yet. Um, he's developed an anxiety disorder because he's so embarrassed and so scared mm -hmm. to leave the house. He finally got to my office today and we had a really good meeting and his son helped bring him. And he's almost 600 pounds. Wow. He's trapped. It's the saddest thing. He tells you, I am trapped in my body. And can you help me? And there is help out there for people in that situation. But what's interesting is I asked him, I said, when did it get this bad? He said, about five years ago when it started. It wasn't when I was, ever since I was in high school. Five years ago, he got so big, he's, he's, he wasn't able to move anymore. So this concept is so important if you, as you're trying to monitor yourself. Oh, I put on five pounds. I put on 10 pounds. Right. Oh, I got to lose 20 pounds. Right. My God, you got, you got to do it. It's really, really important. Now, the dieting, you know, I always tell, well, you need to go on a diet. Well, what does that mean? I don't know. You know, talk to Jill. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's a, there's a unique equation for people out there. Absolutely. It, it, and doctors are the worst. I, I'll admittedly, I, I can tell you what you need to do. I just can't always tell you how to do it. Right. It really is multi uh, faceted in terms of the help people need. Yeah. And this is why um, health, health coaches are being inserted into doctor's offices. Oh, they, I, I would, I yeah. would kill for, for, for someone like you to kill. Well, I wouldn't yeah. really kill somebody, for right. me, but I would, you know what I'm saying? But um, the yeah. other thing is exercise and exercise is critically important. And it doesn't have, to, a lot of people get freaked out because they think that everything's all or nothing. When you're trying to lose weight, let's say you've got to lose 50 pounds, which is a lot of weight for people. Yeah. I always tell them, like, don't worry about losing 50 pounds. Let's talk about the first five. You got to take it in steps. And same yeah. with exercise. Like, no, you don't need to start out with a marathon tomorrow. Right. Let's start with just getting out walking for 20 minutes. Right. And if you can only walk slow, then only walk slow. It's just getting started. And people, the body's amazing. It will start to adjust and become more conditioned, and they'll be able to do more and more and more. Now. I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but mine, uh, when it comes to exercise and weight loss, people are always disappointed by this. If you've got a lot of weight to lose, you're probably not going to exercise at all. You can diet it off. You can get help from exercise, but you're not going to exercise 50 pounds off and eat how you want to eat. No, definitely not. And, and this is why I encourage my clients to go get a DEXA scan before mm -hmm. we even start. 
gather more data, look mm -hmm. at the DEXA scan. What is your body fat percentage? What's your BMI, right? Let's look at all of this information. And there are people who are skinny fat, right? Yes. They look, they look yes. lean, they're wearing size two jeans and they go get a DEXA scan and come back and they've got, you know, 38% body fat on them. And it's just mind boggling. Right. Yeah, so, that's, that's important. Yeah. Body composition yes. is, is, is key. It's not just, and, and I think people need to get away from that number on the scale. It, it's useful and the sun's hitting me. So I'm going to keep adjusting yeah, to see okay. if I can find, can I find the sweet spot? Hang on. I'm going <laughs> to, here, here we go. Okay. I'm back. Um, yeah. You, the, the scale, I mean, if you're dieting and you're seeing the scale slowly come down that, I guess that's a good indicator. You need something to, to measure it by, but I'm much more interested in talking about how to either keep or for most people build muscle. Muscle yes. is such a great, isn't muscle great? It's the greatest, greatest tissue in the body. It does so much for us, keeps us healthy and strong. And it, it burns up glucose and then we feel yeah. good. We think we look better when we're more muscular. Uh, so it helps our self-esteem and our confidence muscle. I'm all about muscle building. Um, and then about losing fat. I don't talk about losing weight. I talk about losing fat. Absolutely. So this brings us to what we're really here to talk about, which is this new class of exciting drugs, maybe not so new, but new to a right. lot of people, especially the people listening to this podcast today. And we've talked about the diet and the lifestyle. We've talked about, you know, slowly gaining weight and um, touched on a lot of these different things. And when someone gets all of that in order and everything's going well, and they still can't lose weight, it's still right. not working. Then we have to, you know, lifestyle intervention, first line of defense, personalized yeah. supplementation is another line of defense. And then on top of that, I look at medical intervention as another line of defense, right? So I liked when I work with my client, I always like to have a medical doctor or a functional med medical doctor on their team so that we can cover all of these bases. So when you right. have everything down, your, your lifestyle is great. You're still not losing that weight or you've hit a stall. Then we have to turn to these more medical weight loss interventions. And that brings me to these GLP-1 uh, receptor agonists like semaglutide or Ozempic, Wagovi. Um, and I, I just, I personally use um, semaglutide now, and it is the only thing, these once a week injections is the only thing that has helped me lower my blood glucose levels and reverse my insulin resistance. And I've been on it now for five months and it was rough in the beginning. And we'll talk about why it's so rough. Right. Can be. Yeah. 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 But I want you, you are, you know, so much about this class of drugs. I really want to um, have you explain what this, what these are. And, and how they work. Yeah, yeah, it, it's an exciting time. Um, semaglutide, which is, as you mentioned, it's um, if it's used for weight loss, it's commercially called Wagovi. And if it's used for diabetes, it's called Ozempic. And there's these commercials on TV that have just been pounding, you know, people with yeah. Ozempic commercials. And it's the really annoying commercials, which is why people remember them. So um, that, that type of medicine, but semaglutide and that class of medicine has been around for, for years. I, I almost think we're going on, we may be pushing 10 years now um, where, it's, where it's been out. Um, it's become, it went from this new class of medicines where 
you know, it comes out and we're all in diabetes going, huh, interesting, maybe, maybe. And it's made its way into becoming um, one of the first line of medicines for type two diabetes. And I'm an internist, so I treat a lot of diabetics, but my endocrinology colleagues who get even deeper in the weeds on this are also gonna tell you it's one of the first line treatments for type two diabetes because there's data on it now. And not only does it, is, not only does it uh, do a really good job at lowering your blood sugars uh, as, as a type two diabetic, or in your case, as somebody with insulin resistance, uh, as they found out, it caused weight loss and weight loss is great in type two diabetes. But what they found out in addition is it can cause a lot of weight loss. And so the studies that were done on it showed a, um, uh, this is pretty recent studies now in these uh, uh, step trials, they call them, uh, right. where you're getting on, the average person loses about 15% of their, of their weight, 15%. Well, if you're trying to lose 50 pounds, or you're 50 pounds overweight, I mean, or let me put it a different way. If you're 200 pounds and you have 50% weight loss, that's 30 pounds. Right, it's significant. 200 to 170, exactly. That's very significant. That's, in mm -hmm. fact, for some people, that's life-changing. That's them off their blood pressure medicine. That's them off their diabetic medicine. That's them off their cholesterol medicine, feel better, look better. It, it's, it's a game changer. So it got FDA approved for non-diabetics who have obesity. Um, I'm losing track of time. I, I think it's in the last year or so where it got this FDA approval. Uh, and now it's blown up commercially, right? It's, it's, it's just everywhere out there. And then the celebrities got involved. And so right. everybody's heard about this new sexy drug. But, you know, I've been using it for years for patients. Um, what so what always, is it? What is it though? Yeah, yeah. So it's, what, it's what does our, GLP mean? Yeah, no, I, I don't even know. No, I'm kidding. I know. Okay. <laughs> I do too, so, but. <laughs> yeah, I know you do. So GLP <laughs> is, is a, uh, it's a glucagon-like peptide is, is what that stands for. Okay. It's made in the intestines, I believe the small intestine. Um, so we didn't, we didn't invent anything. We just discovered something right in, in science. It's already been there. Nature already had it. There. And what it's used for in your body is as soon as you start eating, it triggers production of GLP one in your small intestines, which starts monitoring you for satiety you need a chemical to make you say, I'm full. And that's really, uh, that's why it works in weight loss. Now, it, in terms of uh, diabetes, and in your case, insulin resistance, it also triggers the pancreas to make more insulin, but not too much more, right? We talked earlier about too much insulin can be bad. Mm -hmm. Seems though when your body makes a little bit extra, that, that's okay. It's mm -hmm. when I give you shots of it where we can mm -hmm. sometimes get into problems. And it also, um, it, it also uh, decreases uh, glucagon production in the liver. Glucagon is the opposite of insulin. In other words, if insulin takes your blood sugar down because it drives it into cells, mm -hmm. glucagon increases blood sugar in your bloodstream. So if you have somebody who's in insulin shock, as an example, and you're in a medical environment and their blood sugar, you know, they, they go unconscious, they got too much insulin, 
you can't arouse them, you have a crisis now, uh, they'll get glucagon injection. It'll immediately drive their blood sugars up and they'll wake up. Yeah. So that's kind of the, the, the main mechanism of, of the, the GLP-1 uh, agonist. It, and are, it, are there some people who genetically can't make enough glucagon? Uh, glucagon, um, I'm not aware. I mean, the, the answer is probably always going to be, could be, you know, because there's probably these exceptions, but I'm not aware of anything as far as on the glucagon. I was it, just wondering, like, if there is a, if the way that the body is triggered to produce glucagon yeah. um, or GLP-1, does that ever, does that break, that mechanism ever break down and not work properly? Okay. And, and why and is you, that? You meant maybe, is there, is there, are there people that don't make enough GLP-1? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. The, the, so yeah. So the, the intestinal hormone that again is for people listening, just to kind of reiterate, that's yeah. what semaglutide does is it increases GLP-1, right? So, um, well, my answer is I'm not sure, but I suspect, I suspect, like, because people are so, so different, right? Why is one person, they can eat a normal amount. They say, right. I'm great. Um, at their body weight's perfect. They stay that weight, you know, indefinitely. And then other people just, it's like, oh my God, I can't believe what they just ate and they're still eating. And then you, right. are you full? They're like, I guess I am, but it's just so good. I'll keep eating. I think it's more complex in that case than the GLP. I suspect though, there are people that maybe don't make enough or don't respond to it in the mm -hmm. brain the way they should. Mm -hmm. But there are other hormones involved and other behaviors in the human brain involved that make people eat. People that get overweight and obese ate too much. <laughs> it's ultimately, right. if you're putting on fat, it's storage of excess calories. Now, there may be all sorts of complex reasons why they got there and why they're predisposed right. to that. But at the end of the day, there's something in some people that probably don't, they don't get the trigger and they keep eating all the way to the point where there are people that have true addiction to food. Right. Eating food so pleasurable, it gives you such, it's, it's similar to cocaine and heroin in the brain in terms of that immediate gratification, even right. if they feel horribly guilty afterwards. Right. And we've all been there. We, now I, I, I'm not a food addict. But I understand how you could be because I've eaten beyond the point of full because it was just that good. Right, right. So it's, I think it's complicated, but I also like to keep it simple for people because at the end of the day, if you think you're fat and there's too much fat on your body, there was a process that brought it there and there's a reverse process that can get rid of it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So semaglutide, um, Let's just use that one as an example. There are other ones, but let's just use semaglutide because sure. that's the one I know so well. Um, when you start taking it, these are self-injections once a week right. and you start in a very small dose right. and then you titrate up or you increase the dose as cool. time goes on. Right. And you do. there are some serious side effects to taking this, especially in the beginning. Um, so did you have them? Sounds oh, like you yeah. had them. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So some of these side effects are uh game changers for people to stay on it. There's a lot, there's a there's a pretty 
substantial or significant dropout rate because mm-hmm. people can't get through these symptoms, which include um, nausea, fatigue. Um, what are some other? Could be things? diarrhea for some yeah, people. Yeah, uh, constipation. That was uh-huh. from that was the one I had. So diarrhea, constipation, um, and you feel like you cannot eat anymore. You can't, you can't believe that you're eating such a small amount and you feel so full. Right. Right. And so the reason I bring that up is as a midlife woman going through menopause, I know that as I age, my need for protein has to increase because my lean muscle mass is going to decrease and make it, and it's also going to be harder for me to maintain my lean muscle mass and build more lean muscle mass as I go through menopause and get into postmenopausal years. So my worry about, and I'm also a very um, animal-based forward uh, eater. Right. So my main concern those first two weeks, I lost seven pounds in two weeks, and I felt horrible. Mm-hmm. And my biggest concern was, oh my God, if I don't continue to eat my protein, which is about a hundred grams a day, if not more, yeah, how am I going to maintain my lean muscle mass? And then I started thinking, that's why that DEXA scan is so important. That's why the lifestyle interventions are so important before you start this drug. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it really depends. People, they, they get to this point of, at least when they see me, they, they sort of enter into my office in such a variety of ways, okay? So your case um, may look different than other people's, of course. So for example, with with you, if I may ask, do you recall what dose you started with? Oh my goodness. And it might, I know I'm putting you on the spot. It it could be like 0.25 milligrams. It was like 0.125 maybe. It was like half, I started- Half the starting half. Half the starting okay. dose. Okay, so you start because the key, of course, is you do. We do start at a very low dose. Yeah. And each month we increase it up until for right. people that are really dealing with obesity. Uh, clearly not you. You know, then we increase it uh, up to two point four milligrams for weight loss. Right. So, so you start out really, really small. And here's what's interesting. So everything you said is true. How many people experience it is what's so variable. So your case ends up being a little more extreme to the negative because on a small dose, you felt so horrible and you lost weight right away. Right away. Right. Many of the people I deal with will have just mild nausea, possibly some mild diarrhea. They'll notice they're full faster, Mm -hmm. but they don't drop that kind of weight right away. It's not Mm. until we get them to the later doses. Mm. And maybe because you started out, you know, you went on it, um, you're for, for insulin resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know what your body fat percent was. I'm guessing it was relatively low. Yeah. I'm around yeah. 18, 19%. Yeah. That's, I mean, for a woman, that's really, really good. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Really good. So, um, it may just be that because you started out pretty lean, but you had that insulin resistance that you were battling. You yeah. may have been had maybe a harder response to it than others. Now, there are, there are people that are so sick from their obesity 
Mm-hmm. But they may be more willing to put up with some of those side effects if they mm-hmm. do get them as bad as you had them because they know it's temporary. And there's that thing at the end they want to get to, which is weight loss and blood sugars down and maybe no diabetes. Right. But right. we counsel people on it. Um, and I don't want to scare people away from it, but it is true. Right. There, right. It can cause diarrhea. It can cause nausea. Some people vomiting. Um, the, the thing you alluded to, which is, I, as I heard you, is can I get on it and find myself protein deficient and malnourished? Right. Um, so if you're starting out and you're a 300 pound, five foot, 10 man, probably not because we got so much extra that, right. that that's not going to be the issue. Although we have to coach them on, look, they're going to eat something. You better make sure you eat the healthy stuff and the proteins. It doesn't right. go away, right. right? You never can get to the point with where you're like, just do what you want. Take the pill, take the medicine. Now you can do whatever you want. Right. That's called heaven. And this isn't heaven, right? <laughs> right. Okay. I don't think it is. Sometimes it is. No, that's a great point that you're making because I don't want this to be a crutch for, for, especially for my clients, right? When they yeah. start it and a bunch of them, you know, after working with me for three months, they've got the lifestyle interventions down, they're rocking it. And then yeah. they do need the assistance of, of semaglutide. And I have to make sure they understand you might not feel great in the beginning. It will right. dissipate. It will get better for you, but you've got to prioritize the protein. You've got to prioritize the healthy fats. You have to pretend you're not taking it and still do your best eating a very healthy whole food based diet. There you go. Cause the medicine will do its job. It'll make right. them get full easier. They won't crave things as much. The other uh, thing that I, I hadn't realized, but it's, it, I don't know if it's in the literature or the studies, but I'm seeing it time and time and time again is a lot of people drink too much. Yes. So a lot of people, they're not necessarily alcoholic some are but they just drink too much and you can't lose weight and have a half a bottle of chardonnay every night it doesn't work right people go on semaglutide and they're like i just don't feel like drinking anymore or i had a half a glass of wine i was done so that's another benefit because that really can accelerate some of the health right it changes your appetite for sure i mean like i said i was you know pretty much a carnivore and I've got a freezer full of ribeyes and I can't even look at them right now. And it's really, really? yeah, it's so Can I sad. give you my address? I know, right? Okay. Right. My kids are like, oh, we're coming over to get some steaks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. very difficult. I used to be able to eat a ribeye in the morning, a ribeye in the evening, and now uh-huh. I can't even look at them. What's your, what did you, what is your primary protein source now that you're on? I've been eating a lot of chicken, which I hated before. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it, but that's, uh, that's what I can handle right now. And I've got right. to prioritize my protein and I work on it. And I'm very mindful about it. So I do whatever sure. I can. I went, I went sure. back to tuna fish. I haven't had tuna fish since I was pregnant. You know, <laughs> I'm, I actually feel like my yeah. cravings are very much like when I was pregnant. That's really interesting, but at least yeah. it's all good, healthy stuff. Right. I mean, it's right. leading in the right direction. Right now, it's but it's funny because then see you have your journey and your story, and right, I, <laughs> I have another another patient on semaglutide. He's a character. He needed to lose twenty pounds. Uh, he's a really you know relatively big guy, six foot three. So twenty pounds wasn't a lot, but he was divorced a couple of years ago, and he's back on the dating scene. So he's got to get rid of that, mm-hmm. that 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 gut, right? All right. the all the vanity really comes back. So, um, but but he we got him on semaglutide. We've got them like pushed up towards a fairly high dose and 
he's one of those guys that could probably eat 10,000 calories a day and only gain a little bit of weight. So mm. we tease him. I'm like, Mark, what, what did you eat today? And he goes into this list. Like, that is mind-boggling. Are you having any nausea? He's like, no, no, no nausea. Had a little diarrhea earlier on, but it's okay. I'm fine now. I've got a big dinner I'm going to tonight. I'm like, so you're still losing weight, but your, your capacity to eat is, is not like same. most people. So, yeah. so it works for him. And he's just doesn't get the symptoms really. He had a little bit in the beginning, very minor. Yeah. And then it just was gone, you know, and I've got, I've got everything in between. I have some people that never had any symptoms, which is shocking. No nausea, no, not, nothing. Um, so we have to warn everybody. I think it's safe to say most people will have a little bit of nausea and they'll be kind of like, that's really weird. I don't feel hungry right now. Why is that? I'm used to being hungry. Right. So then we know it's working. Yeah. Right. It definitely helps um, my clients not snack, right? They're, yeah. they're, they're really nailing their meal goals and getting it in, even though it looks smaller when you're on semaglutide, but they're, they're not snacking. The cravings have gone away. They're feeling fuller for longer because as we know, semaglutide um, slows down that gastric emptying. Um, exactly. Right. So, so right. yeah, it's, it's a, it's an amazing drug. And I want to say, and I want you to, you know, chime in with your thoughts on this or your expertise on this. It doesn't affect your hormones. It's, there's nothing, is there anything negative, bad or dangerous about this? Because any, everything I've read, there is, mm -hmm. it's all positive. So it's, it's, yeah. And, and the, the list of positives is way longer than the list of negatives. Um, it's getting, uh, it's gotten so big in the press. I've read some some little on some of these little medical journal things that get they're, they're not it's not like the New England Journal of Medicine but these me, these medical publications and they're every day they've got a new sort of headline and mm -hmm. they you know I some of it I, it's interesting to read it's a little bit like the National Enquirer of mm -hmm. Medicine but I kind of check in on it because then I know what my patients are reading so the controversy stirred right now it's there are doctors out there that are being quoted and they're like this is this is horrible this is being abuse this is meant for people with diabetes and obesity and now you know mrs smith can't get her semi-glutide because they don't the supply's not there and now she's going to die of her diabetes i am just rolling my eyes when i read this stuff this drug is very safe it causes some some side effects in some people temporarily mm -hmm. there are like anything else a couple of contraindications um, if you're somebody that has a pancreas problem or you've had pancreatitis in the past, mm -hmm. it might not be the right drug for you. It, it's, it's considered contraindicated in patients who are, have a family, strong family history or a personal history of thyroid cancer. There apparently are some uh, GLP cells in the thyroid as well, and it can trigger that and it could cause thyroid cancer. There was an article that came out recently saying, hey, this is, it used to be just medullary thyroid cancer. It's a certain subtype uh, of thyroid cancer, a little more rare. Article came out recently saying thyroid cancer in general. And it, the way it put the article, it was like, careful, semaglutide can cause thyroid cancer. Can right. it? Yeah, it can. It can. You can die in a car accident today too. It's rare. It doesn't happen often. We don't put thyroid cancer patients on it. We don't need to, to, to look for trouble here. Um, but it gets, be careful what, to your listeners, what you're going to read, because you're going to see some doctors with real credentials talk about how this drug's being abused and misused. And 
there is still this mindset in medicine where it's like, hey, look, when you're sick and fat, then come back, we'll put you on some really good medicines. Hey, wait a minute. What about if you prevent that? What about if I right. am just a few pounds overweight right now? What if I can't lose that? What if I'm slowly gaining weight? What if my doctor said, now I have insulin resistance? You're going to keep telling me, don't, don't worry about it till I'm sick with type two diabetes and I meet clinical criteria for obesity. Right. That to me doesn't sound like a very good plan either. So I'm, I'm critical of my colleagues that maybe come from that perspective. And also there has been a supply shortage with this because it yes. has become so popular. Yeah. Oh no, we have a, <laughs> I'm going to be really sarcastic. We have a country with almost 40% obesity right now. Yeah. And now I've got my colleagues criticizing people because we're now using something that treats this too well. Right. And now there's none, there's none left over for the people that really need it. Who decides who really needs it? I mean, it's, it, it, we're, we're not, people aren't dying in the streets because people are using it to lose weight. Um, there, there's, there's plenty of ways to treat diabetes. This is a wonderful tool for diabetes and insulin resistance people. and and people that have weight loss uh, uh, issues. Um, and there are people that have tried everything and they do struggle with weight loss. There's yeah. many doctors that call this a chronic condition, a chronic disease. So, I mean, if you get diabetes, I'll put you on medicine. If you have high blood pressure, I'll put you on medicine. Um, why can't I put you on medicine that will take you from being fat to being unfat? <laughs> So is this for life? If you start this, Ooh, is this forever? And good then, question. and really what if you, question. what if you go off it? Do you put, gain the weight back? Some people do. Some people do. So this is where you come in, Jill, because people, and this is again, this, this thing we've got to tell people up front, you can't get away from lifestyle changes. Hopefully when you're, when you're on a medicine that forces you to change the way you eat and how much you eat, you would think that would be the ultimate behavior modification and your brain would start to think that's normal. But once people go off of it, if they don't continue to make the conscious effort and eat like how they were eating on the medication, they will gain the weight back. But I think that that's a choice. Again, if you're going into this thinking it's magic, it's not. The other side of this is people say, well, what if I just stay in this drug forever? Well, I don't know, maybe I've had diabetics on it for almost 10 years, doing great. Mm -hmm. uh, what if I'm just on it for my weight management? Maybe. What we have right now is, best I can say is there's a two-year study. It's the last of the STEP trials that you had uh, mm -hmm. mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And the last one that came out showed people on the higher dose, I believe 2.4 milligrams of semi-glutide once a week, at two years sustained their weight loss with no harm. What's interesting on part of that, on that study is they achieved most of their weight loss in less than a year, mm. but that means they stayed on the medicine and for a whole nother year, completely maintained it. Good news. Good news. So, so I don't know, um, this is going to be work in progress. I don't know what the end point is. I do know that obesity is killing America. Absolutely. And it doesn't, you don't just wake up one day and get obese. You, you, like we talked about earlier, you, right. you've got to attack this when it starts to rear its ugly head and you put on those few pounds. Right. Most people don't need a medicine. They'll lose some weight. They'll do what right. you tell them to do. They'll be fine. Right. It doesn't work right. that way for everybody. But what I, I moved my um, dose down to every other week. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm trying that. And then I'm going to do more labs in about six weeks to see if anything's changed in those biomarkers. Um, but yeah. Have you noticed your A1C? Is that where you came up with some of the glucose intolerance? Every one of my metabolic biomarkers decreased um, because I did blood work about six to eight weeks in yeah. after starting it, which is the only way it's ever moved, like I said before. Um, it's, so it's amazing. Yeah. It, it is amazing. So I yeah. did. Um, so now I'm on it every other week and trying to do that because guess what? It's expensive. Oh, that's the other problem is if you're lucky enough to get it by, by prescription, right. Um, but getting it by prescription, um, if, even though it's FDA indicated for obesity, Mm -hmm. good luck getting your insurance to pay for it that way. Right. I can get it covered for type two diabetics pretty easily, but we're talking about this huge amount of people that don't have true diabetes, right. But they're going to have it if they don't, they don't lose some weight. Right. 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 Um, or, or what about people like you are trying to optimize their health? I mean, is that, exactly. is that a bad thing to do? Of course not. Yep. It's a little bit of a longevity drug. I mean, I have this beautiful chart that my functional medicine doctor gave me and shows all of the other benefits. Um, there's brain benefits, nerve protection increase, um, memory increases, proliferation of neural stem cell increases, memory impairment goes down, neuroinflammation goes down, uh, cardiovascular protection, anti-inflammatory action protection, um, blood lipids go down. I mean, it's changed my lipid profile as well. So there's a lot of, you know, a lot of positives. Um, And there'll be more and more studies, I think sort of really proving some of these things or, or, you know, we'll see, but, but really getting uh, some the, the database is growing in terms yeah. of, of peer-reviewed, you know, uh, journal articles. But just for the listeners out there, I've um, I've heard prices range from three hundred to twelve hundred a month. Yeah, this is this is right. And 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 uh, if you're a celebrity in LA, it might be uh, seventeen hundred a month. They right. charge even more. Right. Uh, it it's true. It's a very expensive drug if you have to pay cash. So. Um, in our clinic, you, you had contacted me because you'd heard about me. I'm the medical director at a, a men's health optimization clinic called Victory Men's Health. Right. I don't own the clinic. I'm their medical director. Um, so I never, everything I say has nothing to do with my income ever. I right. Get, I, no matter what I do, I get paid the same. So, or what I say, even. Um, we, we are able to get it compounded and yeah. another area of controversy. And we get it from a very reliable U.S. pharmacy. They're huge. They're more paranoid about getting in trouble with any compliance issues. Even well, they're as paranoid as I am, and we are at Victory. We live in a very litigious and very complex legal world in medicine right now, and we're I'm super paranoid about doing things that that could uh, cause me to have to answer questions to the authorities. And I don't, I don't even go anywhere near that. So we're very careful who we work with. And so the, the pharmacy we work with is of the same mindset. So they're very legit. And there's a little bit of way to, to get semaglutide into a compounded right. uh, uh, substance that, that is safe and reliable. And so that's one way we've, we've been able to break this price barrier. But even so... Instead of it now being twelve to fifteen hundred dollars a month, it may be more like four hundred dollars a month right. for our patients. That's right. a really, really big savings. But there are people that can't afford four hundred dollars a month. 
Yeah, it is expensive. So yeah. I want to touch briefly um, before we end on another drug that came out called trizepatide, or yep. I think it's under Manjuro. Is that Manjuro? Yeah, it sound nice, right? Right, right. right. Yeah, like, yeah. So this is a dual receptor GIP and GLP one. So what's the biggest difference? And do you see? You know, there's a lot of people um, saying that trizepatide is gonna be far superior to semaglutide. Yeah, so it is superior. Um, the studies definitely show uh, that it's superior in terms of the weight loss. So where I told you that the studies showed uh, semaglutide allowing for, on average, a 15% weight mm -hmm. loss, mm -hmm. uh, terzepatide or Mungero is a little over 20%. Mm. Yeah. And side effect profile is the same. It's no worse. Um, it's, it works similarly and differently from semaglutide. It, it, there are the, so there's the GLP-1 hormone that we talked about, right. where if you crank that up, use your body, you get gastric emptying delays and your body, your brain tells you that you're full. You don't need to eat anymore. In fact, you might even be grossed out by eating more, right? You're really full. Uh, 100%. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Okay. So there's another hormone that's abbreviated GIP, um, which there's actually two, it, it's called two names. It's um, uh, the, the big one is uh, it's a glucagon. So it stands for glucagon dependent insulinotropic yeah. polypeptide. Yeah. So we'll just say GIP. Yeah. Right. And I forget, there's another name it goes by. I think it's like gastric. Oh, I'm, I'm forgetting. It was a little bit easier, but somehow I remember the more complex one. Anyway, this, this works very similar to the GLP-1 hormone. It also causes increased insulin production, decreased glucagon production, and gastric emptying delay, and therefore increased satiety and fullness. So now you've got the two biggies, the two incretin hormones. Here's a new term, incretin. Mm -hmm. Okay, there's the two big incretin hormones your body makes. There's the GIP and the GLP that we mm -hmm. talked about, mm -hmm. uh, hormones. And those work in the way I just said. Uh, uh, now this drug covers both of them, and it has even more pronounced weight loss effect. Mm. It's also used in diabetes, of course, because it's got great benefits to lowering uh, blood sugars as well. Um, I think it just recently, it recently got, um, cleared by the FDA as well. Correct. For obesity. That. Yes. So I thought, I, I didn't think it got just the obesity indication yet, but it may be so close to coming that, you know, you might hear it before I do even, it, it, cause it's just, it's like going to be hot off the press. So I think it was fast tracked. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, we'll have to double check that. Um, because whatever I thought of last week could be different this week. It's been right. such a hot, hot topic, this, this medication. So you're going to have same side effect profile and even more benefit to it. Um, interestingly, back to the price, I'm finding, believe it or not, a little bit easier on the insurance coverage with Mongero. Mm. I don't know why that would be, because it's still very expensive, just like yeah. some of the time. Yeah. So will it replace some glutide? Probably not, because I think you're going to need I just don't think there's going to be enough of it to go around. You're going to have insurance companies making weird decisions. Like, no, we've made a deal with the makers of semaglutide. You got to get that one. We'll pay for that. And vice versa. 
I think for most people out there, either one, if, if you're needing to go that direction, either one is really, really a re respectable choice and you're going to get the benefits you want. And why so, use these over metformin? Well, metformin doesn't really cause, well, it depends. If you're, are you talking about for diabetes? Yeah. Or, okay. So right, not, yeah, not they, weight loss. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so metformin is still kind of a bread and butter drug. That's a horrible, uh, actually analogy. I just bread and butter. I'm talking about diabetes, but it is right. kind of our go-to initial, uh, medication because it is so safe. It doesn't cause weight gain. It also doesn't cause drops in blood sugar and it increases insulin sensitivity to the, to the cells. So there's a lot of times where we use that in conjunction with mm -hmm. these other medicines that we're talking about. Oh, okay. A lot of people, depending on how severe their diabetes is, we have to use two or three, four medications to get it turned around. Wow. Yeah. I, wow, exactly. And I hate to say it, but a lot of these same, these, these folks are resistant to lifestyle changes. Yeah. And so ethically, like as frustrated as I am, I mean, you know, these, these are awesome people. I, I love my patients. I'm like, would you just please lose weight? <laughs> right. And they're like, okay, okay, okay. I will get a die out. I mean, I, I mean, look, you're someone like you. I, I wish I could clone you, you know, put you in the room with all these people, but I don't have you all the time. Sometimes you just got to tell people, you know, right now, just go to go on, go on weight watchers for God's sake, something gets, get it started. Yeah. You'll lose, start losing the weight, come back three months. They're up five pounds. Yeah. So I'm, and then there's their, their sugars are up. So while I, I continue to coach and encourage. I learned in medicine, chastising and lecturing doesn't go well. No, right? They're not. Mm -mm. They're not. These are adults. I don't deal with children. Uh, people need to feel safe when they come see me, and then when they come see you, they need to feel like we're we're their coach. But sometimes we can be a tough coach, right? Right. And that's okay. But I find myself having to put them on more medicine sometimes, and that's unfortunate. Yeah, that is. So before we end. What are three things the listeners can do today without seeing a doctor that will help <laughs> right. them in their health journey in terms of insulin resistance? Well, yeah. Okay. The, the two, there's two real obvious ones. It's definitely address your body composition. Mm -hmm. If you have too Love much that. fat on your body, you've got to start by losing that. And if you don't have insulin resistance and you don't have diabetes today and you're 40 years old and you're like, ah, I'm carrying 20 pounds of extra fat, that means you could have it in the next few years. It just depends. We never know how genetically gifted we are until we get to the end. I'm not willing to bet my genetics are so great that I can do whatever I want and live to be 90 right. and be healthy 90 year old. Every now and then I do run into that person. Like they win. They're like, mm -hmm. hey, sucker. Hey, doc. I did whatever I wanted. I'm 90. I'm healthy. I right. win, like you're right, right. You're right. but that's, right. that's a big risk to take. So that fat, 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 get rid of the fat. You don't have to think all or nothing. Start getting rid of some of it and you'll have health benefits. Right. The other thing is you got to move. You have to move. You've got to get some exercise and you don't have to be a marathon runner. You don't have to be an elite athlete. You just have to do something and do it consistently. People that say I worked out once this week, I guess that's better than zero, but you really need to make it not much lifestyle. It's not what, much better that? than it's not much better than zero. Right, right. Right. Yeah. And 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 my opinion um is get resistance in. 
Absolutely. Get things that build Number muscle. one. Right, right. And so that means most people, I don't think get enough protein in their diet. So as they're trying to make their diet to lose fat, they're going to probably need to increase their protein intake even if they're decreasing their carbohydrates and overall calories, got to right. get that protein up. Um, you've got to be your own advocate. You've got to, you've got to look at yourself in the mirror um, and, and ask yourself, you know, who, no one's going to do it for you. You've got to right. do it. You've got to do it. There's resources like you and me and books and this podcast for people will be free, but you've got to do it. No one's going to do it for you. Right. Um, and then I guess, thirdly, um, so I have a good three, one and two. Um, my third point would be to repeat one and two. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. I, I guess uh, my, my third one would be, but this isn't something they can do at home would be to find a doctor like yourself or someone of that mindset who is going to be a supportive partner on their health journey versus right. someone who is not going to take a more active role. So. I, I agree. And yeah. then maybe number four, we say cut down on the booze. Oh, we drink absolutely. too much in this country. Yeah, absolutely. that'd be the other bit. But that goes towards the diet and everything. Yeah, so. yeah, right. All right. Well, Dr. Yablonski, thank you so much again for joining me today on um, this amazing episode. I know my <laughs> listeners are going to learn so much and walk away with so many golden nuggets. It's I really, con so. it's confusing out there. Um, medical literature is really tough to read for most people. So I love to bring on physicians like yourself to really help break it down and explain things more in layman terms so we can really grasp the bigger picture and then pivot our lifestyle and make a move in a positive direction. So thank you. It is my pleasure. And I can't believe it's already been an hour because yeah. I've had so much fun talking to you about oh, this. Thanks. So keep doing your part though. Your part arguably is more important than what I'm doing because it's that lifestyle part. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. And I will put no, I all of that. your, yeah. thank you. I will put all of your contact information um, on the, in the show notes as well, because you've got some great resources over at your um, clinic as well. And right. um, do you work via telehealth, by the way? So I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm, so I, I have a pretty um, weird setup. I, I, um, I work at many different places doing what I do. Um, one of the ways I, I dodge the corporate medicine aspect of somebody owning me and beating me into submission where I see 40 people a day and can't help anybody is I have many part-time jobs doing what I do. That's awesome. So I travel to different clinics. Um, each one owns me just a little bit. <laughs> so, so I kind of, they, they let me do what yeah. I want to do basically. Cause I, I'm not there enough for them to mess with me. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, uh, and so I, I, I have a, a clinic in my hometown of Edwardsville, Illinois. That's a little more traditional hospital owned clinic, but even that, you know, we schedule the time we need for people. We give really good high-end care. That's I fight great. hard to, to keep, um, enough time for people so that we can take care of them and not, I don't want a conveyor belt. I won't do it. I'll quit before I I'm forced into that. Um, I have clinics in DeCoin, Illinois, small rural town. They support me beautifully. I, I same thing. I, I spend the time I need with some very sick people. Then I've got victory men's health where I'm there. Uh, and we're, we're working on health optimization, you know, not the sick people, but the people trying to stay not sick and stay and get better. So where should you contact me? I don't even know what you should I wonder if you should give people my email. 
Maybe oh, that's I will. I, I have that. And I will definitely do that. Thank you for offering. I think that's yeah, great because so, people are always well, looking for someone like you. Maybe if nothing else, I can guide them, you know, and, and, yes, that's uh, and, wonderful. and put them in the right direction. So thank you. in my email that dyablonsky at sbcglobal.net. It's like a really, I think you awesome. have, yeah, yeah, you contact. I have it. Me. So that's the yeah, one. Yeah. Okay. All right. All Thank right. you so much. Thanks again. Thank have you. a great weekend and um, right. I'm excited you to too. get this out. Bye-bye. All right. Talk to, down the road, Jill. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Lifestyle changes can be hard and overwhelming to make. By building your support team of functional medicine doctors, therapists, and health coaches, you can reach your optimal health goals. Be sure to check out my other podcasts. Until we meet again, stay healthy.